Savior and redeem them. And that was the pattern we've seen over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, what you expect with someone who's addicted to sin, they would relapse. That's why the pattern just keeps going. It keeps getting worse and worse. And it was this downward spiral. And it, it kind of got repetitive, right? You might have remember, been thinking throughout the, the series, like, I know what's coming next. Of course God saves them. <laughs> like, kind of want a new story. Uh, they sin, then bam, God delivers a, a deliverer. And so we're thinking, all is well, but then Israel sins again. Well, last week we saw uh, our last judge of the book of Judges. Last week we saw Samson as the last judge of the book of Judges, and he delivers people in a very, uh, very uh, monumental way. And it's just one of the coolest phrases in all of Scripture in that uh, in his death, he saved more people than in his life. And how did he do that? He was, he was under the, the temple of the Philistines and he had his hands on the pillars of the temple and he pushed it down, the pillars down, so that the temple would collapse on itself and he killed all of these Philistines. And so in his death, he saved more people than in his life. Uh, powerful image. But that's the last judge. And so the book of Judges ends with a bunch of dead judges, dead saviors. And then you might be wondering, so what are we still doing preaching on it if it's over? (laughs) There's actually more chapters to the book of Judges. What we're going to look at right now, uh, and for the next two weeks, is the appendix to the book. And you're thinking, ooh, scintillating. (laughs) Get excited for the appendix. Uh, No, what we're looking at is actually very powerful stuff. Uh, It's a flashback. Uh, This is not uh, chronologically in order. This is not chronologically accurate. What we're going to look at is a scene, uh, a picture of going back to the time uh, when we saw this phrase, the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And so before we had that phrase, all throughout the book of Judges, it was this bird's eye view that the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And what we're looking at now in this last part of Judges is we're, we're focusing in and we're saying, what does that look like? What did, give me some examples. And we're going to look at two examples, one this week, one next week, of what it looks like when people do what is right in their own eyes. Uh, so we get a sneak peek to the horror, to the shame, and to the darkness of what life is like when we live according to what's right in our own eyes. So please stand for the hearing of God's word. We'll be reading the whole of chapter 17, Judges 17, and then I'll be referencing verses uh, from chapter 18 throughout the sermon. So you, want, you, will, you will want to keep your Bible open. So we're in Judges 17, that's the Old Testament. This is the word of the Lord. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. And so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. 
And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah, And the Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Father, we come before you now. We come before our covenantal God, Yahweh. And we ask that you would speak. We need you to speak this morning. Unclutter our thoughts, make clear our minds to see you, Jesus, shining through the pages of this dark time in Israel's history and then in ours. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, a good friend of mine uh, has introduced me to a movie uh, that is kind of interesting. It came out a couple years ago, maybe... 10 years ago now, and it's called Lars and the Real Girl. Any of you heard of this? Uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, It's kind of odd. It's an indie flick, and it stars Ryan Gosling. And for some of you, that's reason enough to go see it, right? I've heard. Um, But the plot of this movie is is pretty bizarre. The plot of the movie is pretty bizarre. Ryan Gosling is this... um, 30-something character named Lars, who's this full-grown adult, uh, and he's so ridiculously socially awkward uh, that whenever he's around people, he just clams up. And whenever he's around women, he he really clams up. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, And it's just painful to just to hear him speak because you feel the fear just holding him back, suffocating him in awkward ways, like holding someone's hand for too long as you're shaking or or just standing awkwardly. (laughs) And you're just watching, you're going... But that fear becomes crystallized one day, uh, his fear of other people, uh, when he decides to introduce to his family his new girlfriend, thinking, he's making progress. He has a girlfriend. He introduces his family and says he's finally found someone who gets him. That's what we all really want, right? She really gets me. Her name is Bianca. Uh, She's wheelchair-bound, and she's a missionary. She's pretty. She's of Brazilian and Danish descent, and so things look pretty good for for him. But there's only one problem, is that she is a giant life-size doll that he ordered on the internet. (laughs) Lars really believes that Bianca is alive and real, and he introduces to his family, here's my new girlfriend, Bianca, and they're going, what? <laughs> We're joking, right? No, no, yeah, I just met her on the internet. Oh, that's cool. That's where everyone meets people these days. <laughs> They're going through, and what's crazy about this movie is he, he takes her out to nice restaurants. She actually volunteers for the church. The church is actually presented a very nice light in this movie. Um, <laughs> she works part-time as a, as a model for a clothing store. Um, uh, his, his psychiatrist 
actually tells everyone in town that this is what's good for him. He needs to go through this. He needs to believe that she's real. And so play along. And so everyone plays along. The church ladies take her out. Um, the doctor says, gives her checkups on a weekly basis and says, yeah, she just got low blood pressure because she's not alive. Uh, <laughs> she's his soulmate for all good purposes except for one tiny little problem and that she's not real. She's fake. She's made of plastic. It's really odd, and I think we all should go see it together. He has this pretend relationship with a doll he, that he's playing off as real. And I said, welcome back to real life, right? Well, not, not for Lars. Uh, he, he's content with living with Bianca, his m- fake doll missionary, uh, wheelchair-bound girl, and he's just crazy. He's living a lie. Yet everyone goes along with it as if it's true. And my friends, I think this is the picture of what's going on in Israel right now. The the picture of Israel is this, that they are calling a blow-up doll a real girl when they call the God that they worship the real God. That's the real God. That's as if I'm worshiping the real God. It's as if I'm saying that this fake girl is real. Uh, It says, I mean, it's just lunacy. It's as if I, I said, I really love chips and queso, and I do. I really want Kristen to love chips and queso as much as I do. And I think I just really want, I'm going to choose to believe she loves it as much as I do. I'm going to have her eat it and me eat it for every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm going to wake her up because I love her and I know she loves it as much as I do. I'm going to wake her up and say, honey, I made you some chips and queso. <laughs> and it would be crazy. She'd be like, uh, get out. It just slapped me. <laughs> but I'm choosing to believe it because that's what I want my, my wife to be at this moment. That's what's crazy right here. The Israelites are saying, I'm choosing to believe this is who God is. It's crazy. Let's look at the crazy that's going on here. Okay, on the surface, it looks good. Okay, we need a guy named Micah. Micah, his name actually means, who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? The covenantal name. And the answer, it's asking the question, the answer is, is, is assumed that no one is like Yahweh. So his name is, is Micah, and his name was given to him by his mom. So his mom looks like she's, she's has a, she has a very Christian home. She's naming her kids after God, who is like Yahweh, the covenantal name. And in verse 2, mom blesses her son. That's a good thing. Bless your children. Verse 3, Micah actually repents and confesses his sin. Verse th- that's verse 2. Verse 3, he actually con- the mom actually consecrates 1,100 pieces of silver to the church. Or to Yahweh and says, I will give 1,100 people, 1,100 pieces of silver to the church. And you're thinking, wow, she's, a, she's tithing. That's a lot of money. Okay. She, things are looking good. And then verse 5, Micah, Micah makes a priestly garment uh, called an ephod that you required to wear whenever you went into the temple. And so on the surface, the show looks very good. But let's go past, past the surface. Let's, let's look deeper and ask the question, why is his mom blessing him? What's happened to bring this about? He stole from his mom. (laughs) I mean, how terrible would you have to be? You're a pretty hollow guy to steal from your mom. And when he does steal from his mom, he doesn't come back out of remorse and feeling of guilt. He overhears that she's uttering curses about him. (laughs) How did my mom even know how to do curses? And why is she cursing me? And so he comes back out of fear and self-protection. It's not out of this remorse of saying, oh, I've, I've sinned against the Lord and my mom. He's scared. And then the mom reverses the curse so quickly. She, she just, 
There's no actual repentance. There's no actual uh, looking for real reconciliation. No painful process of doing the hard work of mending a broken relationship. She just says, okay, you're forgiven. Just promise not to steal the money again or more curses are going to (laughs) come. But now that she has this money, what does she do? I'm so thankful that the Lord has brought me back my money. And I'm going to thank the God. I'm going to thank God in such a way that he... Just really bless him. That would just really make God so thankful for me. You know, I'm going to go against his scriptures, and I'm going to make an idol. (laughs) I'm going to get the money that I've been given back, the $1,100 or 1,100 shekels of silver, and I'm going to make an idol out of it. And that's going to be my way of thanking God. And I'm going to worship the idol, and that's my way of thanking God in the way that he says is wrong and evil. You just think, this is crazy. It's, (laughs) It's not like it's been explicitly stated in the Ten Commandments not to do that or anything. But then we see that when the time comes for her to make this idol, the 1,100 gets reduced down to 200. She actually keeps the rest for herself. <laughs> she doesn't follow through. She's got this really big language, you know, the, the, the Christian language. I'm going to give everything to God, but really I'm only going to give 200. <laughs> I donated a million dollars to the church, but it really was like $100. But that's, I don't want to tell anyone. So they, they, the externally they have the right language. But internally there's this greed, there's this superstition, there's this idolatry and there's this contradictions that are going on all over the place. They have the, their own DIY religion. It's completely terrible to them, and it's crazy. Micah and his mom epitomize what it looks like to do what is right in your own eyes. What's crazy is, in these couple verses, they have managed to break seven of the Ten Commandments without even leaving their home. <laughs> as far as sin goes, that, that's, that's remarkable. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, you might say, well, what's the big deal with making an idol? Because if you notice, it it says that they're not worshiping Dagon, which is what uh, the Philistines worship, or or some other god. They're worshiping the covenantal name Yahweh. In our Bibles, it has the Lord, all caps. They're saying we are worshiping Yahweh with this idol. It it brings you back to to the golden calf scene, right? With the Exodus, which you may have seen the movie. We won't talk about that. <laughs> they worship God for saving them by how? They've just been delivered in this, in this, this amazing way. They've had all these plagues, then they, they go through the Red Sea, and they be, they're delivered. And now let's, let's thank God by building a golden cow? <laughs> odd. And you think, was well, it odd or is it wrong? Why, why would it be wrong to worship Yahweh, not another God, by worshiping this idol? Here's why. Here's, here's the big deal with idols. When, you, when they made the golden calf idol, when they did, when you, if you make an idol, you are worshiping only one aspect of God. The golden, cow, the golden calf was, was to show the power of God, the power of God of destroying the enemies. But it had nothing to say of his righteousness or of his love of his grace. And so when we have the, the one picture of the idol, we're worshiping only one part of Jesus, only one part of God. It's a, it's a very powerful thing. You think about yourself, you think about the, the paintings you've seen of Jesus. It depicts either just the love of Jesus. It doesn't pick his multifacetedness. I made up that word. It is now official. So while you believe you may be worshiping Jesus, you may only be worshiping one side of Jesus. While I believe that I'm, only, I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm, I may only be worshiping the idol that I consider the Lord, and therefore I'm not worshiping God at all. 
I really want my God to be a God of love. So that's who I worship. But what about, what about the God who defends the weak? Do, do I know him? And so that when we make these idols, when in our minds or physically, we make these idols, it, 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 it focuses ourselves so much that we lose out on what the, the bigness of God. You may say something like this. I don't believe in a God like that. I, I don't believe, believe in a God who sets up so many rules. I like to think of God as like, you know, the cool old grandfather, that, you know, that just doesn't have so many rules, lets you do what you want, gives you free gifts. That's how I like to think of God. And anytime you say, I like to think of God as, you know it's a bad statement. <laughs> I like to think of God as wearing a tuxedo shirt or <laughs> any Talladega Night reference you may think of. All right, so the question, though, is how do you know if, if your faith is a sham? How do you know if, if you're actually worshiping the true God? Do you like to worship the God you like to think of, or do you worship the God that's presented in scriptures? Do you only worship a God who loves without defending the weak? Do you worship him in his totality? Or would you say, I, I want a God who doesn't frown on what I do. I've heard that many times. I want a God who doesn't want to frown on what I do. He wouldn't judge me. Well, Tim Keller says this. When we simply ignore the parts of God we don't like, it means we don't have a God that can ever contradict our deepest desires or say no to us. We never wrestle with him. We never let him make demands on us. And we can end up worshiping a much more comfortable God, but also a non-existent one. And so in a sense, we have a blow-up doll religion like Lars, a fake God. And this is what it looks like to do right in our own eyes. It doesn't have to mean this outright rejection of God. It doesn't have to be this, this blatant, ugly sin. It can actually be cased in a lot of religion. Judges 17 is, is filled with religious activity. It's painted all over it. A shrine in the house looks pretty good. To Yahweh looks pretty good. And they look very committed. But this is religion on Israel's terms. And here, some ways to check your pulse is if this is you. What part of God's word would you like to change? What part do you want to change? That, that kind of helps you figure out how I'm doing with this. What part have you actually functionally changed? You've actually said, ah, it doesn't really apply. The way I treat my friends, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but you don't know what they did. <laughs> or you say, the, the way we worship, you know, I really like to sit at home and listen to sermons and just, you know, listen to Chris Tomlin, that really gets me in, in, in a good worship mode. Like, no, that, that, that's not what God calls for. He's, he's a trinity. He wants you to be in community. And so ask ourselves, you know, checking your pulse, like, am I only worshiping one part of God and ignoring the rest? We have to be careful here because this section is tailored to you. It's tailored to me. It's tailored to the church. He is directly speaking to religious people. And we have to be careful. These people are fumbling through religion, and their sin makes them look more religious. So it's harder to catch. It's harder to catch them because they're having worship in their home. It's dangerous. This is wolf in sheep's clothing type stuff. It's an outward show and no inward change. This past week, um, Knox, my son, and, and I went to the park, and we were swinging on some swings. And uh, Knox is just so competitive right now. Little Knox. You are too. Um, <laughs> Knox is just so competitive right now and that when I push him on the swing, he's just saying, higher, higher, higher. So I'm pushing him and you know, he's getting so high to where he's like up, you know, like perpendicular and then drops back. So it's, it's as high as we're going, okay? 
<laughs> uh, so I push him higher, and then there's this other little boy that comes up on the swing next to us with his dad. And he starts pushing, and this other little boy is, I mean, he's probably half Knox's age. He, he's probably uh, a year or two younger than Knox. And he's just going at like a fourth of the height of Knox. And, and it's, it's gentle, it's cute, and he says to his dad, I'm high. And then we just say, leave it at that. <laughs> and so Knox is going really far and really fast. He's just like, <gasps> he says, no, I'm higher. And I said, yes, you are. You're killing that kid. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> You're embarrassing it. No, I tell him, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. Uh, and he <laughs> we keep moving, we keep moving. And Knox feeling a little agitated. And the boy goes, no, I'm really high. And Knox says, this time, he looks to the boy's father and says, he's not high, I'm higher. <laughs> it's like, stop it. And the boy was like, like, really sad by that. I was like, calm down, calm down, calm down. I was like, okay, okay, but he didn't want to stop. He's just like, no, I'm higher than him. And then the boy's like, dad, I'm higher than him. It's time to go. Okay, so <laughs> I pick him up and I walk out and I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is a good teaching moment. Let, let's just don't stop the situation. Let's teach. Let's, let's be the dad of the year. Um, let, let's, let's have one of the all-time great messages that I remember from a kid that just really imparts wonderful wisdom to him. And so I, I got Knox and I stepped out on one knee and talked to him and I said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And he was just like, I was like, so if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. We walked, and we, he didn't say anything mean after that, but we also, like, got in the car and left. Uh, but thinking about that later, I just realized what I told him. I essentially just told him to shut up. <laughs> if you can't say anything nice at all, shut up. I told him to change your actions. Never mind that your heart is untouched. Just be quiet and polite, which are not bad things, right? We, quiet and polite might be good things, but if he is quiet and outwardly polite, but internally is arrogantly thinking, I'm so much better than this kid. I've done nothing to his heart, and I've done a great disservice to him. It, it, I've made him into a Pharisee. I've made him into Micah. He's got the outward look, but nothing, nothing doing with the inward. And so just look the part, whether it's a real relationship with Jesus or not. We're talking about a make-believe faith when we do that. We're talking about this outward religion, but no in, inner heart change. And Micah's fine with that. That doesn't stop Micah. He realizes later, having his own son be the priest to his house, he has his son become his priest, which is odd to think of that way. Uh, he says, one, that, that, that doesn't change my actions. Even though the scriptures directly say that he can't be my priest, when does that stop me before? But two, it might be more effective if I have a Levite as my priest. And so he goes out in verse 9, and Micah and, and Verse 9, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes in your living. And the Levite went in. And so somehow Micah convinces this, this priest, this Levite priest, to be his own personal stay-at-home pastor or priest. And by the way, I am not out for rent. Uh, Jeff might be. You can talk to him. <laughs> but this Levite is no good. The Levite is no good. He, he should be at home ministering to his people. 
but he is out wandering, trying to find a place to live, even though he has a place. He's shirking his duties out in his wandering, and he finds Micah, and he agrees to help Micah worship a false god for money. And so he's got bad motives. This, this is a bad thing going on here. And then in verse 13, we see the goal of Micah and his mom's uh, attempts of their efforts here. In verse 13, then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. <laughs> he's all doing this for t- so he can prosper. God has become a means to an end to him. It's as if Micah is eating at the all-you-can-eat buffet of, of religion and saying, this is the type of God I want, this part I don't want, as long as it helps me prosper. Keller says, goes on to say, religion's true purpose is to get God to serve you. Gospel faith's purpose is to get your heart to serve him. And so a lot of times we, what's going on here is we're reducing God to a vending machine. What buttons do I need to press to get God to do what I want? Okay, F7. That will make me prosper. F7. God will, that'll be easier. That's the God I want to worship. But it will never truly inspire actual worship. It will never truly inspire any change in my heart because who wants to worship a vending machine? That's not the real living God. Ironically, the God that Micah creates ends up leaving him. It's kind of sad, actually. <laughs> it's as if Bianca, the fake doll, walks out on Lars. Um, that's, what, that's what goes on in chapter 18. Chapter 18 is the result of, of, of this sin. It's the sad part of, of, of his sin. And uh, if you have your Bibles open, we're going to walk through a little bit of chapter 18 together, and I'll just make some comments as we read it. Uh, 18.1, in those days there was no king in Israel. The implication, everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Now, it's an important note here that the tribe of Dan is looking for a place to live. Uh, they're homeless right now. And the reason they're homeless is because when God called Israel to go out and, and to fight courageously and to take out the, the Canaanites, Dan was a coward and chose not to go. So the, the cowards, that God says, okay, you can, you can live this semi-nomadic existence in the mountains. That's your land. That's where Dan is going. God actually gives them that land. But they're now out searching for land because they think they deserve more land. Okay? Uh, where are we at? Verse 2. <laughs> so the people of Dan sent five able men of the whole number of the tribe from Zorah and Eshtael to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levi and they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? And what is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting will succeed. And the answer should be no, because they, they know that God has said, this is your land, and I'm going to go out and go against God's will and try to find new land. And so they're asking this Levite, who doesn't actually talk to God, whether he, think, whether he, they, he thinks that I should go out and find new land. And, and Dan, by the way, is actually one of the saddest tribes in all of Israel. Dan is the weakest one, the most cowardly, as we just saw. But in Revelation, they're actually absent actually absent from the list of tribes that make it to heaven. 
And so Dan here is kind of a bleak picture. They're completely ignoring what God is saying and saying, well, we're going to leave the land God's given to us. We're going to leave his, his directions. And now we're asking this guy who doesn't really know the God whether we should go into this land. And in verse 6, the Levite says, the priest said to him, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. And so the Levite who doesn't talk to God says, of course, yes. Magical blessings will abound wherever you go. <laughs> he says, yes, go. You, you're, you'll win. And the Danites love this so much. They say, hire that man. I love that. He tells me what I want to hear. Hire that man. So they decide they're going to hire this priest away from Micah. So in verse 19, the tribe of Dan says to the priest, and they're saying it, he, they're stealing him basically, saying, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come, come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to the tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the household gods and carved the image and went along with the people. I mean, it's sad. It, this is crazyville. The Levite priest gets a promotion, gets a better job offer, and joins the tribe to intercede rather than just serving one little household. And so he climbs up the corporate ladder and gets more money to be a priest uh, of a false god still to a, to, a now, to a clan, to a tribe. And Micah's God walks out on him. Micah's God has left him. What he set up to worship in place of Yahweh has left him. And the, this priest, who's now been serving two masters, has essentially been serving the same master. They're essentially the same person. Micah, who steals from his mom and makes false gods, is essentially the tribe of Dan. Dan is Micah compounded. <laughs> Micah is the picture of what every man in Dan is like, who just stole and worships the same false god. Both only go as far as their eyes can see, you know, what, what's appealing to their eyes, uh, what looks attainable. That's the only thing they go after, what actually would, would secure success. This is what C.S. Lewis calls, these men are men without chests. Kind of an odd picture. They're, they are men without chests. And that they, they, they think with their, their minds logically of, okay, how will I su- succeed? They have drive and ambition. They know how much to invest, but they have no heart. They have no heart behind that. They know nothing of valor. They know nothing of sacrifice or honor. These are men without chests. And they do all of this for the fake God that has been made for, from 200 shekels of silver. They do it all for prosperity. So what do two people do who are so alike? When two people are so alike, usually they do what? They fight. They're so similar, they fight. This Christmas, you had kids that probably fought uh, very much uh, over the same toy, probably. They just fight. And they, like kids over Christmas, they fight. And so Micah gets together a bunch of people and goes to, a, to the tribe of Dan and tries to get his gods back. And when he comes to the tribe of Dan, they're saying, why are you coming after us? What's going on? And look at verse 24 with me. This is a powerful verse. Now, I'm reading it from the NIV. I think I, I like the, the language better, but it's pretty similar to the ESV of what you have here. He says this, You took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? He says, You took the gods that I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? So everything that Micah had could be taken away from him. Everything that Micah actually has can be taken away from him. He has nothing else. And I ask, can the same be said of you? 
that everything you have, can it be taken away? What's the thing that, uh, what, what's the, if you would call it your precious, uh, the thing that you value so much, your prized thing is gone tomorrow, would you crumble? What is that to you? What's your ultimate meaning? What has captured your heart? That if it was taken away from you, you would say, you took my God. You've walked away and I have nothing now. I hate this verse (laughs) uh, because it's caused me to think more about what's going on in my life. Um, Some of you have been asking what's the status of our foster son, Jordan. This... This month is it for us. Um, January 21st is the, the day we find out. He's, he's, got, he's got his trial. And been bitter for like two months now thinking about this. I, I cannot imagine a world without him. He's been with us for a year and a half now. He's part of our family. And if the judge says he's going back to his mom, I'm going to stand there right with Micah and say, you took my son away and left. I have nothing now. If that happens, it's going to crush us. We crave your prayers for January 21st. I realize I've given him God's status. That's not, he's not worthy of it. It's an idol that's rooted deep in my heart. I'm trying, to, trying hard to repent of it. But anything that we say, that which I cannot let go of is our God. Anything we say, I cannot let go of is our God. He is my little God. Whatever I have to have, whatever is giving me meaning in life is my God. And we do this with many things, not just this. We do this with, with Christmas bonuses. I have to have that. We do it with promotions. We do it with relationships. If a guy or a girl breaks up with you and you say, I had to have her, I had to have him. What else do I have? You've taken it away, God. I know you've said that. We do it with the stuff under the Christmas tree. I have to have that. Everything Micah had could be taken away from him. But not us. Not us. Because there is only one God who will never be taken away from us. Even when the devil himself tried as hard as he could to take him away. Even when he tried to kill him as a baby, he couldn't succeed. Even when he tempted him, he wouldn't be seduced. He tried to snatch him away. There was no easy way out for Jesus. He didn't take it. He was a man with a chest full of love for you and me. And instead of looking at you and saying, I'll add you to my collection because of how worthy you are, he says, you who are sinners, I will die for you. You who are killing me, I will die for you. I love you that much. 
That's the true God. That's the king we can live for. That's the one that will actually inspire us to worship. The movie ends when Lars actually meets a real girl who takes his attraction away from the crutch of the fake girl and one day he wakes up to find that Bianca doesn't have a pulse. (laughs) How did you not see that before? (laughs) But one day he wakes up to find that Bianca doesn't have a pulse and it's funny, but one day you might wake up and find out that your little God, your idol, doesn't have a pulse and that is God's grace working in you to wean you off of that which you say I have to have inspire you to go after him to actually meet the true god to meet the real living god inspires you to give up these fake gods and learn to to learn to serve and worship him when we look and pine to the cross and meet the real god the one who's actually worthy of our worship the one who's actually worthy of our affection and our life we find that we have everything we need that's the real relationship. That's, that's the real relationship. So if I ask you this question, check your theology. Have you checked your theology and ask you these two questions? Can my God influence who I am? Can my God actually influence who I am here today? Can he actually work in my life? Is he real? And two, can my God be taken away? If so, that's not the real God. For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray.